Welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Compliant with Alliant, our Alliant Employee Benefits podcast, bringing you insight into employee benefits compliance issues. I'm your host, Christine Blanco. I'm the Director of Employee Benefits Compliance here at Alliant, and with me is my trusty podcast partner, Diana Craig. Hello, everyone. Also an attorney here in the Compliance Department at Alliant. And so today... It is um, summer, it is almost July 4th, happy 4th, and um, this season brings with it 5,500 filings. So we thought we would talk a little bit about ERISA plan documents and wraps and SPDs and all kinds of good, good family fun. So... What we find in 5,500 filing season is we seem to kind of uncover plan document issues. A lot of questions come up about what the filing looks like, how the plan should look, what documents do we need. So we want to run through sort of what we see and some really important high points because as it turns out, there's not, and I'm really going to try to avoid there's a lot of ways to skin this cat, but I'm going to say it. There's a lot of ways to skin this cat. Sorry, Diana. Um, and, and this is not a happy season. This is not the most wonderful time of the year. This is a very difficult time of the year. And I think one of the problems with 5500s is that there are things you need to care about fairly passionately. And there are things where you can kind of let go a little bit. Well, passionately, I mean, okay. <laughs> I'm very passionate about several of these things. And I could talk for for hours about the importance of ERISA wrap documents. <laughs> the difference uh, between a plan doc and an SPD. Oh, we, we've got a lot to say. We're, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, okay, so let's start with just some sort of general principles on pl- plan documents. So again, there's not one way to do this, which is why it creates a lot of consternation. If there were one hard and fast rule, we could all get behind it, but there's not. And it really depends on how your plan's structured, how you want to structure it, how big your varying component benefits are. And so generally you want your plan documents and how they are structured to mirror how your 5500 is filed. So that's a really good general rule to start with, right? Yeah. And I think when we, we pull back even further on it, we look at sort of the basic ERISA rules, which is that they want um, every plan to be operated pursuant to an underlying plan document, and then every benefit or plan needs an overarching summary plan description, which is a participant-facing communication. It's supposed to be written in plain English, but where we see disconnects is... um, does every benefit in your ERISA plan, it, does it have its own SPD? Do you operate one ERISA plan? All of those structuring decisions actually dictate how many Form 5500s are required. And what I like to see is generally one Form 5500 being filed for your ERISA plan. There are times when you need to operate more than one plan, but the best, simplest situation is to have an underlying plan doc for each benefit option. Then you're going to have one wrap summary plan description, wrapping all those benefit options, creating one ERISA plan, and then we have one 5500 filing. Right. That's definitely our recommended best practice. That's why when you when you talk to us about this, we're always asking about the wrap. Is there a wrap in place? What does it look like? Um, and there's a lot of reasons, and I think Diana brings up a good point because when we talk about plans, parlance is very important, and you know, and it actually became really important with the ACA when we were talking about you know when things became effective, and and so 
the idea that you are wrapping a plan with a number of component benefits is really how we like to talk about that because even though there is dental and vision and business travel accident and all of those things, you will wrap that into a single ERISA plan, which is a single entity. And that's really the cleanest way to do it. There may be reasons, let's say for instance, you didn't have any, you know, didn't have enough folks over a hundred, because recall in order to file 5,500, you have to have a hundred at the beginning of the plan year. Um, if you know you didn't want to file your 5500 so you weren't going you know you're gonna wait till you got over a hundred and then your component benefits sort of drug along that way that's how you can end up with a number of 5500s and a number of different plan documents but ultimately again we like to wrap the entire all the component benefits into a single ERISA plan well and realistically if you're not wrapping uh, the DOL would look at your health and welfare plan offering as each benefit component being its own plan and needing its own separate 5500 filing, we don't want to be filing a, a dozen 5500. Right. And also to, to, to another point, without a wrap, what you would have is each component benefit, your medical, your dental, your vision, would have their own summary plan descriptions likely issued from the TPA or the carrier. And most of the time, those are insufficient under ERISA in terms of reporting and disclosure. Oh, they never meet all the the required um, SPD content. I mean, when we look at required content and SPDs, it's got things like your um, legal agent for service of process. Your carrier doesn't know that for you. Right. They're not putting that in. Right. They don't know, I mean, innumerable little details that, you know, you as the employer would rattle off. It's not in your carrier agreement or your TPA doc. And that brings us to another point, which is, can that one carrier agreement or TPA doc, even if they label it um, plan document and summary plan description, mm-hmm. can it really be both? Right. Um, and the answer is generally no, it can't. There was a, um, God, there was a court case a couple of years ago called Amara that said a document can never summarize itself. And it was really just dicta. It was not the point of the case. But after that, everyone sort of started scrambling and making these weird separate plan doc things that were just, uh, they serve no substantive purpose. And uh, inevitably, either the weird plan doc thing or the SPD, one or the other would get lost or one or the other would get mm-hmm. updated. And so typically what, what we like to see with sort of all of the years of hindsight we're now bringing to the table is use that TPA document as your plan document, because that's got those kind of details. It's got a lot of the nuts and bolts in there. And then use your wrap SPD as the summary plan description. And that's kind of the cleanest way to come at it, in my opinion. Right. And and there are other cases that say they can be both, right? So it's really, again, there's not one way to do that. And so Diana's recommendation, the way I look at it visually, and I don't, I don't know why I do this, but it's like there's a wall and there are holes in the wall. And you spackle it. Like the SPD <laughs> is like the plan, you know, those TPA agreements are the wall that's there. And then the SPD, you come along and you spackle those holes up with ERISA language that nobody reads or understands anyway. And then you have your whole wall. So, well, and the SPD or a good wrap SPD will often save your bacon in a DOL audit. So we, we want those. And so that's the sort of a level set for us. Another thing, too, to to speak to as, as we're sort of riffing here on RAP SPDs, we usually kind of plan these podcasts, but I'm, I'm, I'm going rogue. So um, like eligibility provisions. So if you're talking about that RAP SPD, you wouldn't actually put eligibility provisions necessarily in the SPD. You would likely default to your varying component benefits. And so, you know, 
the things that need to change every single year aren't going to be in that rep SPD. And I think that brings us to a discussion on how do we amend those documents? What does that look like? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I think when I look at a, a RAP SPD, that should be a pretty static document mm-hmm. with a decent shelf life. Yep. Um, and then when we look at changes that happen year over year, we are generally doing those changes through a summary of material modifications but that is most commonly your open enrollment materials. We want them labeled as an SMM. Exactly. That, uh, those OE materials will talk about benefits changes, and then we can slide those in, or often we slide those in as an appendix mm-hmm. to our RAP SPD. So if your carrier changes here or there, you're sliding something in and out of an appendix. And so that's mm-hmm. an easy way to keep that document relatively current. I mean, granted, after the Affordable Care Act was passed, all those uh, RAP SPDs had to be completely redone. But, um, you know, generally, it, these are docs that can have a pretty decent shelf life. I mean, I think the rule on um, distributing the full SPD as opposed to SMMs largely through OE materials is every five years yes. if you're making a material change and 10 if you're not making a material change. So that's kind of the shelf life the regulators were looking at these having. Right, and so this is a call to action at this point to take a look at your OE materials. I actually had this come up a couple weeks ago where a participant was sort of talking to HR about a change that had been made in the plan and um, was concerned about that and, and unhappy about that and indicating that the plan document did not reflect that change. And I said, let's look at your OE materials. Is it in there? And have you labeled them an SMM? At that point, you have amended the plan. Yeah. And so it's really important to do that. We do that with our standard OE materials that we that we put out for our clients. And so um, it's a really good safety net to have there. Well, and we also need to talk about um, summaries of material reduction. And, you know, it's really just a type of an SMM, summary material and modifications. But if you have, let's say, a mid-year reduction in benefits, that's something where you need to get out ahead and really communicate that in advance. So ERISA has timelines on distributing um, SMMs and different timelines for distributing SMRs or summaries of material reduction of benefits. And the SMR is 60 days after adoption of the change to the plan. We all know you cannot materially reduce someone's benefits and not Not tell them them for several months. So... (laughs) They could have had a procedure <laughs> scheduled, you know, already um, done. They, so it's something where just a contracts rights principle, you got to get ahead of those. And I would say definitely 30 days in advance of that. Well, and note that if it impacts what's in the SBC, it has to be 60 days in advance. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. That was actually a really uh, good component of yeah. that SPC rule. Yep. Um, okay, let's see. What else do we want to hit on plan documents? Do you want to talk a little? Well, okay. Diana had an issue come up with a business travel accident plan. So do we want to talk about what happens if you've just totally missed the mark? Yeah, I mean, and this is a very easy mistake to make. And we actually have a great table um, on our portal that goes through what are your ERISA benefits. And when our teams are preparing wraps, we like them to cross-check that list of ERISA documents. Because if you leave out an ERISA-covered benefit and then it doesn't end up in the wrap and it doesn't end up in, in the 5500 filing, you have an issue where you have a separate plan that you've never 
done a filing for. And mine was business travel accident, and it just uh, it just somehow fell through the cracks. It is an ERISA covered benefit. It was never in the wrap, and um, and somehow Schedule A's never moved on it. It's a, it was an insured benefit, and so what we sort of talked about was how do we get this fixed? And so fixing it moving forward, we're going to put it in that wrap. We're going to get a Schedule A, and we're going to mm-hmm. file it moving forward on that. And then to fix those back years, DOL actually has a very forgiving um, program called the Delinquent Filer Voluntary Compliance Program. (laughs) And you can have, um, so for one plan failure, for an unlimited number of years, only $4,000. So they have a cap on penalties if you come forward and initiate the correction. It doesn't work if they catch you. That's right. And and those penalties can be quite significant. Um, Okay, I had another thought real quickly on... Arissa, and it's now escaping me. Well, I had one other thought just on how um, how that mid-year change to benefits mm-hmm. can impact your cafeteria plan, too. Okay. So if you come forward with a material reduction in benefits, um, that's generally going to be a significant change under the Internal Revenue Code 125 cost and coverage rules. Yeah. So that mm-hmm. kind of big mid-year change can also open up a little mini open enrollment. So it's kind of one of those things, if you're going to make a big mid-year change, just know that communicating it in mm-hmm. advance is huge. And also know that you're picking up a little bit of an administrative headache if that's you have right. to do mini OE number two. It doesn't, it's, it's certainly something that's going to have some dominoes that fall after it that you're going to have to address. It's not something that you're going to slide in quietly either on ERISA or on Section 125. Another, though, I remembered now. (laughs) The plaque is cleared out of my brain. And so um, just on self-funded plan versus fully insured plan, you have a 5,500. On a a fully insured plan, you're going to have Schedule A's. On a self-funded plan, you're not going to have a Schedule A. Um, Schedule C's have sort of evolved over time, but generally we don't see a Schedule C on a self-funded plan. Yeah, I mean, Schedule C and Schedule H are both weird things that just don't come up a lot for me. So those are for self-funded plans that are paying claims with a trust Trust. running Mm -hmm. in the background. And most of our groups choose to pay claims through general assets. So then you can almost get away with just the body of the 5,500. That's right. And and I actually had a a question come up a couple weeks ago that how do I know – that claims are being paid from a trust. Well, a trust is its own entire legal entity. It's, you know, documents and trustees, and, and you will know. Yeah, you, you <laughs> know when like, if you got a trust. I don't know. There's some analogy here I'm not finding. But most uh, self-funded mid-market plans are paying from general assets. So, again, your filing is fairly simple. Okay, I have one last point, okay. and then I promise I, I just I get so passionate about ERISA <laughs> issues. Um can we just talk a little bit about electronic distribution oh, of wrap SPDs? And Look, how antiquated those rules are. At they this are point. so <laughs> antiquated. I mean, the rules really just do not um, fit our modern world. They talk about things like magnetic tapes, <laughs> <laughs> microfiche, My, all of that. So they're obviously very dated. But when you look at how you are required to distribute ERISA documents, so your wrap SPD, your 5500 SARS, we can do electronic distribution for any employee with regular work-related daily access to computers. Mm -hmm. Not some kiosk you set up, none of that. 
Or we can do electronic distribution for people who give us their affirmative consent. And I like seeing get get consent from people. Build it in. Yeah, because Mm -hmm. what we are seeing now is everybody's got a smartphone. Nobody wants these documents mailed to them. So just include that consent form. If you have populations who are, let's say, in manufacturing or delivery, all of that, Mm -hmm. they don't want that stuff mailed any more than we want to mail it. So get that consent to electronic distribution. Yeah, building that into sort of your enrollment process is huge. Very good. Good key passionate point, Diana. <laughs> okay, so we will. Um, I think that's it. That wraps it up. Um, this episode of Compliant with Alliant. We wish you a nice holiday week, and thanks for joining us.